Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, it's been a week since Thanksgiving, so if you still got leftover turkey, I'd like some. Pastor Rod wants some. I will, ha- you know, I'll put it in my eggs. I love eggs. I'll, I'll, I'll stir it up. What if somebody brought you a jalapeno stuffed with turkey, wrapped in bacon, and bathed in barbecue sauce? Ooh, it sounds with cream cheese. Very close to one of my favorite treats. It does. I would, I would readily receive such an offering. You would accept it. I would. Yeah. With humble gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, men, we've got our Christmas brisket coming up in uh, like two weeks, just over two weeks. weeks. Man, no way. Yep. I better get on that. Yeah. Women's Christmas coffee is this weekend. It's on Saturday. I know. Is it Christmas already? It's Christmas already. Yeah. But men, if you are hoping to participate in our Christmas brisket, uh, our crisket, if you will, this is a perfect time to to, uh, to try out your brisket recipe. And to get started on it now. Get so it ready. ready. Yep. Smoke it for 10 days. Yep. You may have already received it by now, but if not, there'll be an email going out this week for you to sign up if you want to bring a brisket. I'm going to bring a brisket. I'm doing one. <laughs> You're going to boil it or? Yep. I'm going to boil it. Yep. Nope. <laughs> no. Are you no. going to smoke it? I'm going to smoke it. Oh, yep. okay. Smoke brisket. That's exciting. We also, I can't win because uh, I'm... Uh, I'm, I can't, I don't qualify to compete, but we're going to have a trophy for the best brisket there. And let me tell you guys, this is a trophy you're going to want to proudly display. Why don't you qualify? Uh, because I'm I, like, I'm the, I can't, the pastor can't win the competition. Why not? If because, you have the best brisket, objectively speaking, then why wouldn't you be able to receive the trophy? Because I'm, that's a shallow win. If you, t- if you ask me, if yours is the best brisket, you should be able to win. No. No, I, just like how our, okay, ki- our kids me. can't win things. No, they, they could, but not. No, this is different. This is different. Okay, so here's the thing. You, everyone gets three votes. Okay. And they, they vote according to which one. They, and then it's a blind vote. No one knows who made what. You just vote for it. And if you want to vote for yours because it's the best, then I think you should. I don't know, man. I don't know. Let me show you, though. Pastor Rod, I'm going to show you. For everybody else, it's not visual, but I just want your reaction. <laughs> you ready? This is legitimately the trophy that we ordered. Except it's going to say Compass Bible Church Men's Crisket Brisket Champion 2023. Okay. I'm excited. Here, yeah, here we go. <laughs> that is, wow. What's the first word that comes to mind? Manly. There you go. Manly. Right? I, I just, yeah, I, I would have that on my, if I had a mantle, you would I would it. put it on the mantle. Yeah. So our guys are going to have this opportunity to win. There you go, man. That's exciting. I, you I'm just heard the, tell you. the verbal affirmation from Pastor Rod I that will, this is worth it. I would like to have it. Yes. So if I buy brisket from Hutchins and I bring it and put it under my name, can I still win? Hey, man, what you answer for the Bema seat is between you and Jesus. <laughs> there's, still, there's, there's nothing that says I can't do this. Okay, let's let's qualify. You have to cook your brisket. Oh, well, see, you, you didn't say it in the beginning. Yeah. Changing the rules. Yeah, changing the rules, whatever. Killjoy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, make sure that you're there. And ladies, our Christmas coffee is going to be great, too. I know my wife has been uh, just putting in a lot of time and effort as well as many of the other ladies and getting that planned and, and mm. ready to go. Yes. Thank you, ladies. And they're having, they're having like lady food. They're, they're having some expected. They're I don't ladies. know if it's quiche or something like that. But oh, it's, quiche. Yeah. It's something quiche. that they're going to enjoy. It's a good doorstopper. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you've had some bad quiche if you're stopping doors. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, hey, let's get to Ezekiel 43 and oh. 44. Okay. Can you hear the excitement in our voices? <laughs> Pastor Rod came into my office a couple days ago. He was like, I'm done with Ezekiel. (laughs) 
finish reading it. I finished <laughs> I reading. Was She's like, I'm done, done with, with it. it. I'm not going I'm to. I'm never going to go back to that book again. I don't want Let to. Let me just anymore. remind you guys, 40 through 48 of, of Ezekiel are some of the hardest chapters to hardest. interpret. And I'm struggling along with you. I just want you to know that. Mm. One of your pastors is struggling with you. Yeah. In the trenches. Yeah. Well, hey, 43 opens with the uh, the return of the glory of the Lord. And remember, this departs at the beginning of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is privy to that. He sees that happen in this vision where the glory of the Lord goes up from the threshold of the temple and then eventually leaves the temple. Departs. Yeah. The next time that it comes back to the temple is here in the millennial kingdom temple that Ezekiel is describing here in these chapters. Remember, there are two primary views out there. One is that this is a a metaphorical temple. The other is that this is a literal temple. We fall into the camp that this is a literal temple that will be there during the millennial kingdom. So this temple is not yet here. It is going to come during the millennial kingdom, the literal thousand year reign of Christ on earth. And so the glory of the Lord returns and fills the temple. But also notice in verse seven, he said to me, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place, the soles of my feet where I dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. Um, what do we do with that? Because the millennial kingdom is not forever. It's not forever. It's only a thousand years. A literal thousand years. So what do we do with this? Well, here's the view that I think is most helpful for our, our understanding of this. What I believe that this is referring to is that this is God's declaration to his people that he is back to dwell with them and he will never forsake them again. He will never, there, there will never be another exile. There will never, never be another time where the glory of the Lord departs from his people. He will always be with them. So herein he is saying, I will dwell with you. I will always be with you forever. And that will be forever because at the end of the millennial kingdom, the the people of God remain with him. They don't go away into exile. There's the final battle, but we are still with the Lord and the people of Israel will still be with the Lord during that time. And then when the new heavens and the new earth are formed, there is no temple, but there is no temple because the glory of the Lord is there and the glory of the Lord is with them and is with them forever and ever and ever. Why is there no temple in the new heavens and new earth versus here? Again, remember what I said last time, there's still sin on earth. So the full glory of Yahweh cannot be present with the people of the, of the millennial kingdom and in the fullness of the sense that it will be in the new heavens and new earth. Why? Because there's still sin on the earth in the millennial kingdom. There will come a day when there's not. But what is this verse saying? It's saying that the, that that God is going to be with his people forever from here on out. And that's true. The glory will never depart again after it returns. So what effect was the temple supposed to have on the people of Ezekiel's day? You'll notice in verses 10 through 12, um, God tells them what he's expecting. He says, you son of man, Ezekiel, describe to the house of Israel, the temple, tell them what it's like. So these first three chapters in, in, in chapters 40 through 48, this unit were meant to describe to them. And, and the response they were supposed to have then is verse 11. And if they are ashamed of all they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangements, um, its exits and its entrances. That is the whole design and make it known to them as well as the statutes and its whole yada, 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 yada. So the temple was, one of the intentions was to help Israel feel a sense of shame for their present sin and also an eager anticipation for the future of God's glory, their restoration. The temple, remember, the temple for an Israelite was everything. It wasn't just uh, a really ornate place to, to look upon. It was meant, it, this was their national symbol of who they were. The Ark of the Covenant, the, the centerpiece of their of their worship, the concentrated glory of God on display, this was everything for them. So what this should have done is remind them, oh man, we sinned, which is why we were in exile, which is why God had to discipline us. But look, there's a future. Let us be ashamed of our sin. Let us repent of it. Let us turn and trust the one who is going to display this great glory and grandeur in the future. 
when we keep going in chapter 43, then we notice uh, that there are some some words that might jump off the page for, for you, like verse 19, uh, that there's something, a bull from the herd for a sin offering. Verse 22, for a sin offering. Verse 24, a burnt offering. Verse 25, what? a sin offering. Verse 27, burnt offerings, peace offerings, and I will accept you, says the Lord. Okay, Pastor PJ. What's going on here? Explain <laughs> yeah. yourself, Lucy. We uh, we did just finish going through the book of Hebrews in the New Testament reading. See? It's in our rearview mirror. Yep. And there we talked about how Christ put an end for all time for the sacrifices that he has finished, that he is seated at the right hand of God. Um, that in the old system, priests had to continually offer sacrifices that could not remove sin. But Christ has once for all perfected those who are being sanctified. Okay. We are, here's the word dispensationalists. We've talked about it multiple times before in this podcast. There are different dispensations wherein God interacts with mankind in different ways and different means in the different dispensations. In the Old Testament dispensation of the Mosaic Covenant, you had God interacting with his people through the sacrificial system and the law. That was always intended to point to Christ. That's why Paul would write in the in the church age, in the, the uh, church dispensation in Galatians 3, Three, that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. It was always going to be faith that saved the Israelite people. The, the, the sacrificial system, though they couldn't fully understand that at that time, was always meant to point people to Jesus. They were offering these animals, reminded of the sacrifice, the cost of their sin, so that ultimately it would be realized in the, the atoning work of Christ on the cross. And that's the writer of Hebrews. That was his main point. This has happened. He has brought these things to completion for the church. He's, he's, he's the one. This is what everything was pointing to. Jesus has come, died on the cross for our sins. We don't need to go back and offer the bulls and the, and the, the goats in anticipation of the one coming or in hopes of the one coming because the one has come. He's here. It's Jesus. Put your trust in Christ, not in the Judaistic system. Remember at this time, though, during the writing of Hebrews, the Judaistic system was divorced from the, uh, the, the church. The Judaistic system was not related to the person of Christ at all. In fact, they had rejected Christ. That's why the writer of Hebrews was saying to the, the people there in the book of Hebrews, don't go there. Don't go back there because those things are useless apart from Christ. You need to remember that Christ is where our hope is. Fast forward to the millennial kingdom. Christ is present. Christ is there on earth. And all of the redeemed that are there in the millennial kingdom are there because they've realized who Jesus is, including the Jews that are there. They have realized Jesus is their savior. They have come to understand now that the purpose of the Old Testament sacrificial system was always meant to point to Christ. So now in the millennial kingdom, we have, an, again, a different dispensation. God is, is now, the church age is no more. This is now the dispensation of the millennial kingdom. God is reinstituting the sacrificial system, but he's doing so as a, a, a memorial to the completion that we have in Christ. So the Jews are continually coming to the temple again with their sin offerings, but it's different than it was in what the writer of Hebrews was writing against. Because why? Because now they understand who Jesus is and that all of these things are meant to point to Christ. So though it's complicated and we don't fully understand all of the whys, okay, why is this still necessary? Uh, admittedly, there are some questions there, but I do think the underlying principle is 
Christ is there and this is the perfection. This is what the Old Testament sacrificial system was always intended to be. This is it in its full purity and completion pointing to Jesus. Jesus is there in the millennial kingdom. So when they bring these sin offerings, these burnt offerings, they're bringing them and they're in bringing them, they are also looking at the one who is the ultimate realization and fulfillment of it. So it's a way for them to, to enter into the glorification of Jesus through bringing these offerings, remembering his sacrifice on their behalf. So let me remind you the alternative to understanding it this way. And it's, it's the idea that it's all symbolic. And our question then would be, well, there's a lot of specificity here for a symbolic approach to Ezekiel's temple. So even though we might be hard-pressed to adequately explain to your liking how this works in a, in a millennial kingdom sense where Jesus is physically present and the sacrifices are being offered, if this is all symbolic and it's still yet to be, or even if it was something, what are you doing with the symbolism? What is it pointing to? How, how, does it, how is it fulfilled? Um, it's, it's not easy either way is what I'm getting at. The understanding this appropriately is, is challenging. Have we said this yet? No matter what side of the theological aisle you might find yourself on, understanding Ezekiel's temple is, I mean, there's, there's a lot of approaches to this. So again, as you read, I'm glad you're challenged. We are too, uh, but don't let it trip you up. Read, persist, think, pray, and let God tenderize your heart as you read through this. That's good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter 44, we get introduced to this character, the, the, the prince, and uh, who is the prince? Well, one thing we know 100% for sure, the prince is not Jesus. Uh, and we know the prince is not Jesus because if you look over to chapter 45, verse 22, notice what the prince is doing there. The prince is offering sin offerings on his own behalf. He shall provide for himself and all the people of the land a young bull for a sin offering. Okay, if Jesus is providing for himself a sin offering, then we do have massive problems. We have massive issues with the book of Hebrews and so forth and so on. This is a, a ruler during this time who seems to be an administrative ruler in uh, in the millennial kingdom. Uh, who is he? Why is he um, sticking with the idea of the completion metaphor there or the completion model? It's possible that this is a a a model of of the 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 pure Davidic ruler, the one that that should be. Um, that, that should have been during that time. Although again, you, you've got Christ there. So is that even necessary? Probably not. So here you, and you see some of the, the difficulty here of, of who is this, this one it, other, other than this is a, a vice regent, somebody that is, is ruling su- subject to the rule and reign of, of Christ, who is uh, administrating things for the people of Israel during this period of time. Um, he's got his own gate. He's got his own rules and regulations, what he's supposed to do, what he's, where he's supposed to go, where he's allowed to go. So uh, there are guidelines for this prince to follow in relation to uh, God's uh, putting him in that place. Yeah. So one interesting, this is again, why I lean toward the literal. The literal makes sense. This seems to be a, a real person who fulfills a real need and function within this temple complex, um, within the within the city of Israel, or Jerusalem rather. He has leadership and administrative responsibilities, subject obviously to Christ and what he's doing. It's interesting. I don't fully understand it, but this is again why I lean toward the literal. Otherwise, who is he? Why is he there? Nobody knows. Like we're just guessing, but right. it seems to me like this is somebody and he's got a real significant administrative role. That, that would be my, my own two cents. Something that's kind of cool to think about, though, church, as, you, as you're listening to all this and as you're working through all this and, and, and scratching your head along with Pastor Rod and I, uh, number one, be encouraged that, that we are too. <laughs> if you haven't picked up on that, uh, this is a super challenging section of, of the Bible and, uh, and we find it that way too. Uh, but, but number two, what's really cool is we're going to be there. So we're going to see all this unfold and eventually we'll, we'll be able to understand, oh, it's a pastor's P 
PJ and Rod were right this whole time. <laughs> Perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Or if we weren't, hey, you know what? We're going to be as as believers glorified, and and there's going to be no sin there. For Very you, unlikely. Man. And Very so, unlikely. if you're going to get angry with us, you won't be able to. You're not going to be allowed to. <laughs> um, no, but we're going to be there. So we're going to see it all unfold, and then we'll understand fully. And that's going to be really cool to be able to see that as we ourselves are understood. Yep. And to know that. Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter two. Well, we Here mentioned we yesterday. Go. Chapter one was super encouraging. Chapter two is not so much. <laughs> Uh, only because he's he's dealing with the reality of the threat to the church, and that threat was there at this time, and that threat is present today as well. Uh, there are those that will be openly antagonistic. The writer of Jude talked about um, Jude. <laughs> the, the, he talked about uh, the whole idea of of people creeping in and and being there undetected. That's not what we're seeing in Second Peter chapter two. These people are openly. It says they're denying the master who bought them. That seems a little bit like uh, that language needs some clarification there. And it does. Uh, Bought them in the sense of the universal authority and lordship of Christ. When someone comes to faith in Jesus, sometimes we talk about making Jesus Lord of our lives. We don't, we don't make Jesus Lord of anything. Jesus is Lord of everything. And there's a, a very real sense in which he has through his cross bought everyone either for redemption or for judgment in that eventually the judgment is going to be entrusted to him and he will have the authority to judge as the ultimate uh, ruler and the ultimate Lord over those that have, have rejected him at that point. So here you have people that are rejecting him, the master who bought them. And so it's, it's just drawing into, to stark contrast, the reality of the, the, the uh, rebellion of these false teachers. And as the chapter unfolds, uh, these are people that have that are not only teaching false things, but living gr- a, a, a grossly immoral life. Uh, verse ten: those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Verse fourteen: they have eyes full of Id- adultery, insatiable for sin. They are enticing unsteady souls, hearts trained in greed. They promise freedom, but they themselves, verse 19, are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. The last thing, so Peter's conclusion is is this. For for these people, people that hang around the church for a a brief period of time and then make their true identity known and very openly, he's saying, man, it would be better for them to have never heard the gospel than to have heard the gospel, reject it, and then pervert it the way that they do. So that does bring up an interesting point that you should be aware of here, and it's that these people come from among you. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, as Pastor PJ was talking about. I want to point to your attention here, the obvious observation. These people are going to be your neighbors. They're going to be sitting next to you in the in in service. They might be serving with you in the kids' ministry. I don't want you looking askance at, at Bryce Clancy saying, is he a false teacher or anything? But you should be aware. Calling names. Because <laughs> I know he listens. I hope he listens. If he doesn't, it's going to be very awkward. But the idea here is that we need to be on guard even at the church. You should never let your guard down. Not to say that we should be skeptical of everybody or that we're cynics. I'm not saying that. But I am saying you should be on guard. You should never let your guard down in, in, in the sense that you're always using your Bible filter. You're always uh, running things through what you know to be true about God as revealed in his word, which is why we do this podcast, by the way. We want you to hold even us to the standard of scripture. We're not exempt from this. Of course we're not. We want to be men of the word, and that's necessary for anybody who desires to live a godly life. Let it be so for you. 
As you spend time in your Bible, recognize how important this is. You have a responsibility to yourself and to the church among you to be on guard against false teachers who will arise among you. Yeah, and that's why, y'all, this is why things like church discipline matters and is is so important that we can't allow things to go unchecked that pose a threat to the flock. We talked about First Peter chapter 5 and, and, and protecting the flock. That's This is part of the, the idea there. And this is, is something that, again, like Pastor Rod was just saying, we look not only to one another, but also to the, the church body in this as well uh, to help us. And as we, we guard the perimeters of the flock, making sure that um, that we're dealing with things that need to be dealt with and, uh, and uh, eradicating sin in the camp. That's right. Now, and and for, for your sake, for your sake, guys, um, we commit to do this. Yep. Just want you to know that we're committed to that. Yep. And not that we cherish that or long to do that, but we will do that because we care. And yep. any good church will do that. Yep. If you are at a church that doesn't practice church discipline, you're at a bad church. Yep. Um, I don't know how to say that. And yep. I guess I'm not going to apologize, but I do want you to know we're committed to that. And we don't exempt anybody, whether it's pastor or parishioner, we're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember one pastor, at one point I was listening to him and he said, uh, church discipline is always happening at my church and it should always be happening at any healthy church. And I was, I thought to myself like always, always, that wow. sounds like a, that sounds like your church is messed up. Yeah. But what, what his point was, was not the final stage of church discipline, but that we should care enough about each other and the holiness of the bride of Christ, that, that those initial stages, that Galatians six, anyone who's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore that person, that that should always be taking place because we do love each other that much to care about and get in each other's kitchens and, and not stay on the surface level with each other, but really have those sanctifying relationships as we uh, all pursue the uh, the mission together as the bride of Christ. Man, that reminds me of what you preached last week out of John chapter four. It's important that we're willing to confront one another and let that conviction be there. And at the same time, we don't want to just barge into people's houses and go pew, 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 you know, <laughs> with the Holy Spirit machine gun. Right. Now, there is an appropriate timidity and I don't know, just a, a willingness to hold back everything that you might want to say and say, Lord, is this my preference that needs to die? Or is this something that I should bring up to my brother or sister in the Lord? Um, we want to do that, but we don't want to do that willy nilly. So please be prayerful and be sure. thoughtful, be sensitive before you start machine gunning into people's lives. Well, hey, we'll catch you guys again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you then. Peace. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.